Hello, everyone. Harry here. After this episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Walter Dellinger, former OLC head and solicitor general and con law scholar, about the phenomenally interesting aspect of John Roberts presiding over the trial. You can hear that at patreon.com slash talking feds, where we have exclusive material for supporters. Welcome back to Talking Feds, a prosecutor's roundtable that brings together prominent former federal officials and Washington insiders for a dynamic discussion of the most important legal topics of the day. I'm Harry Littman. I'm a former United States attorney and deputy assistant attorney general and a current Washington Post columnist. We are in Washington, D.C. all this week, taping a series of live episodes at George Washington University Law School. To coincide with the to coincide with the national drama playing out a few blocks away as Congress undertakes impeachment hearings for the first time in a generation and the fourth time in our nation's history. Today we shift from the past to the near future. Our premise is that there will be a trial in the Senate, that the House will vote articles of impeachment. And our question for discussion becomes, what will that trial look like and what should it look like? To discuss this topic, please welcome three superbly qualified political commentators with deep sophistication in the ways of the political branches and the Department of Justice. First, Elliot Williams, a well-known contributor to Talking Feds from its first days. Elliot is a principal in the Rabins Group Government Affairs Practice Group and a CNN legal analyst. He is also an alum of both the DOJ, where he was a senior political appointee in the Obama administration, and The Hill as Judiciary Committee Counsel to Chuck Schumer. Welcome back, Elliot. Thanks for coming. Uh, Great to be here, Harry, of course. David Frum again returns. David is a political commentator and senior editor at The Atlantic and an MSNBC contributor, a former speechwriter for George W. Bush, the author, by the way, of the term, I said this last time, but I love it so much, Axis of Evil. He's a prolific author with a long track record of exceptionally thoughtful contributions to many different publications. David, thanks so much for returning. Thank you. And finally, we are really honored to welcome Norm Ornstein for the first time. Norm is a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, a D.C. public policy think tank that researches government, politics, economics, and social welfare. He's been a must-read for American political issues for 25 years. Like David, he's authored a steady stream of articles and a number of books Thank you very much for joining us, Norm. I'm happy to discuss the new axis of evil. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's turn right to it. Are there, in fact, any rules? And we know already there's nothing in the Constitution, but are there sort of common law or any sort of accepted structural or procedural restrictions that, as a practical matter, bind the Senate's hands in any way or is it completely a you know uh, the equivalent of a scrum? Norm, any thoughts? So first, we do know that there's one element here that is in the Constitution, which is that the Chief Justice of the United States will preside over what is a trial. 
Other than that, it is up to the Senate to determine its own rules. Now, they could rely on precedents. And we know what happened in the Clinton case, which is that basically Ted Kennedy and Trent Lott got together, a Democratic uh, icon and the uh, Senate majority leader, and with a few colleagues to hammer out the kind of procedures that they would use. And they would treat it something like a trial. So down to the sort of objections, amount of time, the nitty-gritty they worked out? They worked out a lot of the nitty-gritty, although along the way they adjusted. And in fact, there were a few instances where they went into private session to talk about the rules that they would use, including witnesses who wouldn't appear in front of the Senate as a whole, but they would do the equivalent of cross-examination, and then they might show excerpts of it to the senators. So they adjusted along the way, but you know, it was a bipartisan agreement on the, the roadmap, the procedures that they'd follow, knowing that it was going to be uh, a, a very partisan uh, effort, although less partisan than what we're expecting now. Yeah. Okay, so on the one hand— um, you actually had that that kind of enough collegiality, uh, which which I, I, I want to ask you, David. But it seems you're less likely to invite you know Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell to the same procedural party. On the other hand, if there is actual um, precedent to look to, is there not some kind of dynamic of default to that, just in order to put one foot in front of the other and have business done? How do you see it? I think we make a mistake if we look too much inside the Senate chamber to understand the past and not enough outside the Senate chamber. And what do you mean? The most important fact about the Clinton impeachment was that by the time the trial got to the Senate, the Republicans in the Senate wanted to get it behind them even more desperately than the Democrats did. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clinton's uh, approval numbers, which had been about 60 percent when the scandal broke, had risen to 73 percent on the day the House voted the impeachment articles. So the Republicans desperately wanted it over behind them. And, and of course, there had been an intervening election in ni- November of 1998 where the president's party had gained seats, something very unusual in the sixth year. So the Republicans wanted it over. Um, and so the, the reason it was easy to re- reach the rules is both party leaders wanted the same result. Get this behind us as fast as possible and with as little of it in public as possible. That's why they so readily agreed, for example, the senators wouldn't speak. Um, in Watergate, we have to look at what was happening outside the chamber too. Um, the country was in crisis in 1974. Um, the economy was in terrible shape. Uh, there was inflation. Uh, there were gas lines. Um, that Richard Nixon would have had a very difficult time staying on the job through 1974, even if he had committed no crimes at all. Um, he was desperately unpopular for reasons outside the chamber. And of course, in the case of Andrew Johnson, let us remember the party of the, con- the part of the country that wanted Andrew Johnson removed was in military occupation of the part of the country that wanted him to stay. And that the battle there was for control of the army, but the army had opinions of its own and the army was hostile to Johnson. Um, and that was, that was the secret superpower that the impeachment had was this was a country that had just emerged from the most terrible war in its history. And the army thought that Johnson was a traitor. All right. So and by the way, in your spare time, if anyone has it, there's a really good annals of the impeachment of Johnson that are that are fascinating to kind of pour through with an eye to today. So but Elliot, first, do you buy all that past? And do you see it as analogous here? Because what one thing it suggests is a certain um, uh, coincidence or con- concord among the parties. And and here, I, I think one would expect 
uh, that, in fact, they don't start with the same basic uh, goal. What, what's your thinking? They don't. It's an evolving notion of what the United States Senate is and what its role in American politics and American government ought to be. So let's you know, pick up on something Norm had said, which was this um, Ted Kennedy and I think it was Phil Graham or, or Trent Lott. Trent Lott, who, by the way, had been in the Judiciary Committee in Watergate. That's fine. Yes. Even before that, Daschle and Lott had a conversation on the phone about a day or so or maybe the day of the House vote, and they both sort of had worked out. Let's get this over with. Let's and so both parties, uh, piggybacking on David David's point, both parties had an enormous interest in that happening. Now a lot of that stems from this idea, um, almost a, rel- a quaint idea of the cell- of the Senate as this Jeffersonian cooling saucer, which is this mm-hmm. place in American politics or government where things go to slow down with that were not as inflamed by partisan passions as the House of Representatives might be. I use the word quaint because that's maybe over the last 20 years or so. I don't know. I'd love to hear um, both your thoughts on this. But um, over the last couple decades, we've seen that changing. I think in the last few years. So, for instance, if you take um, changing this idea of the filibuster um, for judicial nominations, regardless of who's at fault there. And some people say that Harry Reid started this versus uh, uh, versus the, the Republicans. But. The notion of the Senate as the place where the majority doesn't rule is just changing. And it's um, and so ultimately what this is coming down to is does the majority just rule in the Senate? And I'm, and I'm beginning to think that it does. And maybe and so. What, and let's go to what they do. Yeah. If they do. But let me first ask, is this basically a matter of personality? There's a statesman like more than aspect. Kennedy's a statesman no, but I think, and but Trent I, Lott's but, a statesman. Schumer and McConnell seem very different personalities. Uh, well, you're, you're saying there are outside forces as well. Don't I, get me wrong. Yeah, I just but, think the norm yeah, of yeah. the Senate has changed. And so look, and just, yeah. let's let's go outside the room again. What is hamstringing Joe Biden with the left right now is the fact that he represents that when he talks about Republicans will come to the table and Republicans yeah. will work with me. He's representing an old Norman an American, old world, po- yeah. an old American politics that go just see doesn't Senator exist Bird. And again, and I'm yeah. not, go see Senator Byrd. Now, I'm not saying this is a good or bad thing. It's just a reality that's evolving and changing. All right. But, so, uh, but what I'm asking is, given that we have these change conditions, but we're also walking into a maelstrom where the, the respective captains are, they have very different styles, let me put it this way, from from Lott and Kennedy. Is it a foregone conclusion that these that this is going to be a kindergarten food fight from day one over everything? Well, I, you know, food fight in the Senate, I'm not sure. And I'll come back to David's point about the external forces. What happened with Nixon, and one thing that was different is in the Senate where we had the initial investigation, you had a Howard Baker who started out as a defender of Nixon but wanted to be absolutely fair. You had Hugh Scott, a Republican leader, who made sure it was fair. You moved to the House and you had people like William Cohen and M. Caldwell Butler and uh, and, uh, Tom Railsback, John Rhodes, the leader there who all followed the facts. And then you had sizable numbers of Republicans who ended up voting for articles of impeachment in the House. And all of that meant that the Republican leaders, when they went to Nixon, said, you're going to be removed from office. The first president impeached and removed. Resign now. Now, here, these public hearings are not going to bring any Republicans in the House along. They are going to Everyone turn, agree? Z- yeah. Zero Republicans voting articles of impeachment in the House? Uh, so you're, uh, you know, the pressure on them. This is, I mean, to be frank, this is not a party anymore. It's a cult. And <laughs> the, the Republican, fear, the Republican yeah. Party is a cult. 
It has a theology, not an ideology, but it's also the fear of being shunned and treated as an apostate is so strong. By that, maximum leader. Uh, well, Donald. it's not, but it, this yeah. preceded Trump and it will yeah. be there after Trump. Well, that's a part of it. But if public opinion in some fashion changes, the other external force here is Mitch McConnell's up in 2020. He knows his Senate majority is in serious jeopardy. There may be a calculation along the way. Now, I'm skeptical that we're going to see sizable changes in Republican public opinion, but it may lead him to a different process, at least, to carry this through. His vulnerable Republicans in the Senate are caught between a rock and a hard place. The conventional wisdom that this is dangerous for Democrats ignores another reality. If you are a Cory Gardner, senator from Colorado in deep, deep trouble, and you know that if you voted for any article of impeachment, the core base in your state is going to turn on you. But if you don't, when the evidence is fairly strong, the suburban women and men who are a core part of the Republican base won't vote for you. You're in a, 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 a tough place. So making it fair may be important. Well, all right, but I, I, that, that's the th- I think when, I, want, I, I really think we should all avoid any temptation to think of the Senate of the past as populated mm-hmm. by better people. Yeah. I don't know I this. I don't assert this, but I would wager $100. The Senate of 1974 contained more alcoholics, more sexual harassers, yeah. and more people chiseled on their expense accounts than the Senate of today. Liz Holtzman, who was on the panel yeah. yesterday, said – Barry Goldwater wasn't putting party over country. Barry Goldwater was looking at a 1974 uh, complete complete landslide. But but okay. So so that that said, so we 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 need we need to dispense with any nostalgia, any idea that there there once were giants who stalked the land. Daniel Webster, the great Daniel Webster. (laughs) Daniel Webster took bribes. Um, So uh, let's just the past was not a better place. Um, and we should always – we should almost engrave over the Capitol that, um, the parting words of Tip O'Neill when he talked about how Congress had changed over his time there. The people are better. The results are worse. All right, that, well, that's the paradox we need to say. Well, so, if, if but, the you know, are just, personal morality, I agree with you. Um, on the other hand, uh, having been fairly immersed in this back in the 70s as well, and I knew John Rhodes pretty well, and I actually knew Barry Goldwater during that time, and I knew Caldwell Butler – uh, they were different than the Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, uh, Ted Cruz, the party, uh, the go part- all along the way. There, uh, there, there was a different mentality. There was a the sense party at least, differently. and yes. a, a sense at least that you cared about your own institution and about the constitution and the rule of law. That's not on their radar. Did you buy that? Because that, yeah. I thought no. that was the notion you were. Raising. No, no. I was. Saying, I don't want. To, it's not that. The, I don't think this. They're is not matter. better people. It's not that there were once giants in the land. No. It was that there. The party system worked differently, um, and uh, so that the equivalent. So um, I don't think there's any doubt that Ted Cruz hates Donald Trump more <laughs> bitterly than anybody in the Senate hated Richard Nixon in 1974. Yeah. And if Ted Cruz could gain revenge on Donald Trump in a way that didn't leave his fingerprints on it, he would be up at five in the morning to do it. But it would be like murder on the Orient Express <laughs> that with the 10 suspects, it turns out they all put the knife right. in. Right? And, and I think there are probably many other senators. I doubt there's any one senator who feels as strongly about this as Ted Cruz, but I think there are many who probably have similar kinds of feelings. And I'm sure there's a majority that feel that it's crazy that Donald Trump is pre- probably a two thirds majority that thinks it is crazy that Donald Trump is president. The party system is different because they have less independence from their party than they did in the 1970s. And so the crucial 
crucial the way the th- I, as I said, I think the impeachment process will probably end in tears and disappointment. But the um, the thing that will decide whether that is true um, is is the workings of the party system. I mean, you can see, the, and the question is: Do people? Do enough people find it in their interest? politically, to break away from Mitch McConnell, to create a functioning majority for a real trial, or will, as there is today, there be a functioning majority for no real trial? All right. Well, Elliot, let me ask you that because that, I mean, that's one way to think of it. Enough, you know, a few breaking away and three votes. They have to, of course, get to 17 or 18. Another way to think of it is Mitch McConnell having no love lost for the president either and very finely calibrating a kind of digital gauge in which it just it just goes fifty five forty five that if we stay with Trump, we're, I'm going to not be majority leader in November, and now everything uh, changes. So is it is there like a twenty yeah. percent chance of a complete change or like a forty percent <laughs> chance of a little bit? Does so I think sense? David was getting here, and, I, and I'm and I'm making a related point that I think one factor matters in all of this, and that's Donald Trump's popularity across the United States. And if senators have a political cost, if there ends up being a cost to supporting the president is sticking with the president, then then you're going to end up seeing calls for Struck and pa- uh, Peter Struck and Lisa Page to be testifying in the Senate hearing because there's a political benefit to doing so. They are rational, rational political actors, and based on how the party system is sort of playing out and structured today, they have an incentive to stick by the president. So look, just just w- walk through a quick thing. Look at the eight or nine folks who um, did not sign on to Lindsey Graham's um, resolution. Um, Some jurors uh, no, less than eight. Or nine in the no, end. So, okay, so let's walk through. Right. So, but, but but just walk through. Mitt Romney, and obviously Mitt Romney is Mitt Romney has no incentive to do this. Uh, um, Susan Collins and Cory Gardner are both up in blue states. You have three retiring senators. It's Alexander, Enzi, and Isaacson. And then sort of Murkowski and Portman, who are kind of the wild cards who always do this. All of them had a reason, um, a personal reason for not going with the party line. But other than that, yeah. everyone else in the party has an enormous incentive to stick by the president because he remains by enormous. The Popular stick, by with McConnell. The stick by the president. president. It's ultimately the president. And Mitch McConnell, you know, Mitch McConnell, um, again, because of how popular the president it, president is across the country with uh, with uh, Republicans. McConnell, I think, is, is uh, structuring the behavior of the Senate yeah. caucus in that way. I'm but, sure Donald Trump told Mitch McConnell that I want to spend more time with my multiple families. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch McConnell would be only too yeah. pleased. So I, I uh, am one of Mitch McConnell's least favorite people, and uh, there's videotape to prove it. He's attacked me multiple times, and with good reason, uh, because I believe he has done more to destroy the norms of American politics and destroy the Senate than any other individual. Uh, But I I think Elliot's point here is a good one, but let me take it to a different level. It's not his popularity across the country. It's popularity with Republicans, which continues at 90 percent. And again, it's – well, it's – tribalism. It's this sense that the other side is evil. They're trying to destroy our way of life. And if we abandon or even move an inch away from our leader, then they will benefit from it. There's some of that. It's the cult, and McConnell has contributed to that. I mean, I was stunned uh, after Citizens United. I had worked with Olympia Snow to get uh, what became the Snow-Jeffords Amendment to the campaign reform bill that was a centerpiece of what was blown up by Citizens United. She was beside herself. It was her major accomplishment. 
the Obama comes in, we get the uh, uh, Disclose Act, which is at least a partial corrective to that. Fifty-nine Democrats vote for it in the Senate after it passed overwhelmingly in the House. Not one Republican, Susan Collins, John McCain, or any other, went against Mitch McConnell. So he's brought them together in this cult-like way. Only if Republicans turn on Trump to a point where his approval is down to 60% will you see some Republicans move away. Rob Portman didn't sign on. There is nothing in the past two and a half, almost three years, not one instance where Rob Portman has gone against Trump or the party. The supposed moderate one. Right. Yeah. Right. Lamar Alexander, not one oversight hearing on the abuses that we've seen in the education department or HHS with the child separation. They're all uh, towing to a line. And the line now is, for some of them, is going to be what he did was regrettable. Mm. There are things there that should never have happened, but it's not impeachable. And I want to get to that line, but uh, a little departure here. So, I mean, I think we have uh, independent, Republican, and Democrat all represented in this panel. You've located... The, the 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 real whip hand of McConnell essentially in the huge support among um, Republicans. What is your sense of the of the the the, the, tri- the tribe itself, the actual Republicans out there? Is there a a real conviction that this, in fact, is all bogus? The president was, as he puts it, perfect. He did nothing wrong. Or do you think the the broader sense is sure you know this this obviously is abusive even corrupt but we can't let the other tribe win what what do you do you have a feeling about the 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 sort of core of Republican sentiment here let me start with you David well, or, well think or, of it think of it as like the uh, dartboard pattern of concentric circles um, you know at, at the center of the circle are the the Fox News Republicans um, my that's d- a very big circle. Right. So, so the, the, and that's probably, that's the majority of the party. Remember, the Republican Party, by the way, is shrinking. I mean, what is a Republican? A Republican is someone who tells Gallup when they call, uh, there's no membership card, there's no membership fee. You t- when, when Gallup calls, you identify as a Republican. When Ronald Reagan was president, about a third of Americans said they identified as Republican. Today, between a quarter and a fifth do. So it's a smaller party. Um, it's a smaller party. Um, it's a less educated party. It's a less affluent party. It's a more rural party than it used to be. So among that 22, 23 percent who identify as Republican, there um, there's a majority who get much of their information from Fox News. And we know they think differently from other Republicans. I, I describe them as penned like salmon inside a lagoon of ignorance. Um, but they, so they would, nice. uh, they, they would think just the way you do, that Trump is perfect. This is all a put up. And they live in a- Genuinely fa- think it. They gen- because they live in a fantasy yeah. world of, of real and fake scandals. They live in a fantasy world in which Hunter Biden is like this Machiavellian- f- you know, rather than the forlorn, sad person that you, that he emerges as, you know, trying to make a moderately dishonest buck in a way that hundreds of <laughs> hundreds of people in Washington are making a dishonest buck, that he becomes like the central figure in the biggest scandal right. on earth, um, and they believe After that. After Andy McCabe, yeah, yeah, they believe that. Uh, then there are the non-Fox News. Uh, Republicans, um, better educated, uh, more connected to the rest of the world, probably younger, probably still in the workforce. Um, so they have to read things that are – they have to read actual news sources just to know what the stock market went in fact up and down. Um, and uh, what they would think they, – they would take the view, I, I like Trump. I like you know uh, what's happening economically. I mean obviously he's a buffoon. Obviously my wife can't stand him. I mean I think 
in this context. I like the justices, though. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, think of, I think of a person I actually encountered by accident. I've talked too long. But when I was at the convention in 2016, um, on the way out, the, 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 you were very hemmed in on the entrances and exits, very narrow passageways with a lot of chicken wire. And um, so I, I got sort of shoved up against a man exactly my own age, and there was something about dressed the same way as I was, and he has sort of a sympathetic face, and we, we were cramped together, so we have a conversation. And it turns out we have very similar lives and similar outlooks, and he represented a major uh, professional association in a Western state. And I said, so what are you going to do? And he said, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. He said, but, I, you know, I've been voting Republican since 1980. I guess I'm, I'm going to, you know, bite the bullet and support him. So what about your wife? Oh no, she can't stand him. <laughs> and your kids? Oh, they've all re-registered as Democrats. And he he wasn't upset about that. He just accepted it as part of the nature of things. He had to do his duty one last time, um, but he understood that the rest of his family was wandering off. Um, so those people, uh, and I think a lot of what happens will depend on those people. And I, this is too long, but let me just. I think what happens for Cory Gardner and Susan Collins in particular is: do they believe they are? They have definitely lost. If they believe they are doomed, then they will be thinking, I need to preserve my relationship with the party for my future K Street career. That's what they'll think. They won't think about history. I no. need to. Oh, be- come on, Harry. No, no, they'll no. think about K Street. How would you advise? Carrie, the- Cor- yeah. Cory Gardner is a possible fair vote so long as he thinks he might win. The, really? mo- the moment he decides he's it's definitely all lost. political incentive, Harry. I, it really. When it cuts you know, the other way. It's, it's not just K Street, okay? Yeah. Lamar Alexander, yeah. right? Yeah. Long distinguished career. Yeah. Governor, cabinet member, senator, uh, retiring, not going to go to K Street. He's in his 80s. He's going back to Tennessee, just like his colleague, Bob Corker. When Lamar goes back, he's going to eat at the clubs and uh, with his wife and with their friends, and he doesn't want to be shunned as an apostate. So it's- The shunning goes at the- the, I mean, I'm really struck here because what about William Cohen and Barry Gold? Why the people who are extolled in the history books- That was a party. This is a cult. Yeah. And it, it rained, so, so I just want to be clear. Everybody here agrees, and you guys are more expert than I, that to the extent they are free to, to vote, they, it actually cuts in favor of Trump. Of Trump. Yeah. Well, they, they, was, they were never, wow. the only person there who's free, truly free. Yeah, I know where the, you're going with this. Is Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. Yeah. He's free. Yeah. He has a quarter of a billion dollars. He has a wife who loves him. He has, what, 49 <laughs> grandchildren. <laughs> he's, he's got the car garage in <laughs> San Diego. Yeah. And he's, and he's La he doesn't need the job. No. And, why, and he is here for history. Well, but, I will give you a caveat. Mitt still harbors a fantasy of being the nominee if Trump goes down in flames, yes. that uh, he can push aside not just Mike Pence, but Nikki Haley and the others. And so you see in what he's done that he goes up to the line of really being harshly critical. Not one vote as he cast that, yes. would, that right. would indicate that he is truly independent. And that includes for judges and, uh, and executive officials who are clearly corrupt and lying. So I, I, that's a small caveat, but it's a genuine caveat. Yeah. But what a sobering fact for the Republican Party. So you're – I mean, David, you've identified the changes that are now happening and you've been, been very critical from the inside. What that's basically suggesting – do I have this wrong? Is that the inheritor – of the Trump legacy in the Republican Party will be another Trumpist. I mean, what you're saying not, is no, that not col- it depends how bad the result is in 2020. Yeah, well, yeah. that's I mean, in other words, a guy like Mitt wouldn't he gamble on 
Trump's being discredited and a new kind of candidate emerging. And if you're that person, don't you, you know? And but the same with Cory Gardner or Susan Collins. Politicians are very tend not to be very imaginative people. So there are two possibilities here in 2020. Um, if Trump should or Trump 2024, or yeah, no, yeah. should Trump win re-election, then it's a Trumpy party. Uh, in the more prob- for, for a generation, yeah, you think in the more probable outcome that he loses. If he loses narrowly, then you have to walk the line of being somewhat but not too critical. What Susan Hale, what Nikki Haley is doing, what Condoleezza Rice is doing, who's also getting ready for a run in 2024, yeah. and what Romney is doing. They are un, I think they are desperately underweighting. What happens if it's a blowout in 2020, which is a very real possibility? I mean, a blowout by American standards. Yeah. But, but 55-45. 55-45, and they lose the Senate. And they lose a couple of governorships, which is a real possibility. At that point, I, you would think there'd be one person who'd say, um, you know, I'm going to be like those guys in the big short when everybody else said – I'm going to bet that the subprime mortgage right. market is going to fail because somebody needs to take that bet. And I'm going to be and, – and maybe it will work out. No one's do it, taking that bet so far. All right. Um, I want to go back to the Senate because we, we, I, 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 this is just informed speculation. Yeah. But, for instance, you mentioned calling for, you know, Page or Strzok to testify. Do you – all right, we're now – I think everyone's agreed. Yeah. Basically, we have uh, Mitch McConnell not, with, not huddling with Chuck Schumer and just um, uh, creating procedures and doing it on sheerly Machiavellian terms, which might mean – Let's have a long trial and keep the six uh, uh, presidential candidates ha- for chained to their desks. Let's have a open and close the evidence to express contempt for it. I'd like each of you to g- give some thoughts about the actual uh, texture of the trial itself. Will they receive new evidence? Will there be anything like cross-examination? What will Trump himself uh, how will his case be made? S- some thoughts about how you foresee it playing out. Is it a two-day thing, a two-week thing, et cetera? Norm, let me start with you. Uh, so I, it, we don't know is the answer yeah, to that. Um, the uh, you know the Clinton the trial extended for a longer period of time. They worked it out that senators through much of it would say nothing, that it would be the uh, lawyers and the managers on each side. There were, you know, a dozen Republicans from the House Judiciary Committee who led the way. Charles Ruff, Clinton's attorney, and a a team of other lawyers. They had summation and, you know, Clinton very uh, So here's that shift, by the way. Do you see shift as being a kind of prosecutor in the Senate? He gets up and talks? Even though uh, this will move to the Judiciary Committee— um, I think we've already seen a judgment made by Pelosi and more generally that Adam Schiff is their lead dog and not Jerry Nadler. But I would expect you're going to see members of both the intelligence uh, and the uh, Judiciary Committee play that role. Who uh, uh, Trump would have as his lawyers remains to be seen. I, you know, we can pray that it'll be Rudy Giuliani, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, but we don't really know. Uh, you know, a lot of this we simply don't know, and we don't know this will be in the hands of McConnell, and he will not pay any attention to what Schumer says. He will decide for his own purposes, probably with some input from Trump, which he will largely ignore 
what he wants to do and how he wants to frame this. So, yeah. So this concept of house managers. So the, um, uh, when Clinton was impeached, it was, I think it was 12, right? Yeah. It was folks from the house judiciary committee that's provided in this, uh, I'll read the title procedure and practice in the Senate when sitting in impeachment trials, which what is did sort you, of, you just it, read from what document? No, it's literally the name of there's a skeleton of skeletal procedures that, that do exist. That the right? Senate passed once upon a time? Yeah, it's just going back to 1868 and then revised in the 1980s. But again, okay. I use the word skeletal very carefully because, again, this all yeah. comes down to what McConnell, quote-unquote, and Schumer agree to. Now, again, Norm raises a very important point. Who would the president's lawyers be? Now, obviously, the House managers, which would likely be Schiff um, and some combination of, quote-unquote, prosecutors from the House, would represent the impeachment case. But is it the president's personal lawyers, which might be negotiated? Is it senators? Is it members of the House? I mean, you know, they they could negotiate to have Jim Jordan be one of the people who, you know, a very aggressive House of Representatives questioner. It just all remains to be seen. And I still think it, this gets back to the question of how popular is the president? Does he come out dirtied up from the House trial? I kind of, or the House proceedings, I sort of doubt it. But if he did, and if, if public opinion across among Republicans tanked, um, you're much more likely to see procedures in the Senate that are less favorable to the president. But I just still think they have an incentive to protect him now, and, and they will. Okay. So there, there are two things that are going on in the outside world um, that will have bearing to an Elliot's point about how popular is the president. One is that Trump is, um, is, try, is heading toward a surrender in the trade war, um, but he balks at the last minute. He may at the lot, he may amp- t- tell us exactly what you mean so by he's, the trade war. So uh, the United States has imposed um, a, a lot of promiscuous tariffs, not only on China but on um, Canada and the European Union. Trump understands at some level that his tariffs on China are hurting the stock market, and he periodically talks about relenting. But he never has fixed purposes, and his underlying drive is to impose these tariffs. Um, he there are, there is a tariff decision coming up about cars from the European Union. Um, and Trump wants to do it, and his his political managers don't. He may ignore them. Uh, we could have another series of trade actions which are bad for the stock market and bad for the economy. The second thing is the Republicans are not yielding on their effort to destroy um, the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. So depending on um, how successful they are in attacking health care provision and how successful they are in creating a trade war, Trump may find himself, because of his own party's policies, more unpopular in 2020 than he has been even till today. With his party or with, with the, the con- American with the, people? With the country. Okay. Um, and the, the second thing to bear in mind when you think about the trial is um, Trump is corrupt before he's authoritarian, but he is driven by his ego even more than he is corrupt. Um, and I think that that we don't want to be amateur psychologists here, but the president's narcissism is, a, is really a relevant factor. Um, the smart play, as Norm said earlier, is to say, um, look, these events were, you know, um, the result of a misunderstanding, but they're, they're clearly, as we see the thing in its totality, clearly unwise and unfortunate and inappropriate. Um, fortunately, there was no harm done, um, and uh, we can certainly all deplore it and move on. Uh, the president cannot that's cannot so accept that. Yeah. The president says, I did blackmail them. <laughs> I was right to blackmail them. They are they deserve it. The Russians are the rightful rulers of Ukraine. Putin is the rightful ruler of America. And I and anybody who doesn't think you know, he will he can't be stopped. Answering all those <laughs> there. Um, and so he may 
McConnell, I'm sure, will be trying to ignore him. But Trump yeah. may insist, I want a total vindicate. I want to argue the issue. I want to argue that I was right to extort Ukraine. And he may put senators in a position where he may be asking them to be too, too abject even for a Republican senator. You know, I've been uh, uh, urging multiple times Adam Schiff to invite Donald Trump to come and testify. <laughs> Uh, I, I just think and and say, you know, if you uh, you are convinced of your innocence, we want to hear from you. If you don't come, that's an admission of something. And Trump's ego, I think, might bring him there. And that, of course, would be catastrophic. Be, look, just speaking as a trial yeah. lawyer, you know, Lenny Brewer was on the, yeah. the panel yesterday. Anybody would know that the last person who should be planning strategy, who should be in charge of this, you know, has to be. Um, Donald Trump. Clinton was nowhere near the the nope. uh, impeachment chambers. It makes no sense at all. And it's funny because on the one hand, everyone here seems to tacit seems to say that tacitly, two thirds of the of the Republicans see him as a buffoon. But that means if if McConnell's really making the smart decisions, he keeps him away. But there's some sense, and I agree, it'd be the best day for you know for you, Democrats if you, if you, are going if Democrats want to bull his way. Democrats in. goad him, and even and especially if Pelosi He's did it, that goadable, could result in something. Yeah. There's one other factor that uh, that David didn't mention that at least is worth keeping in mind. It looks like we're going to reach a deal to keep the government open until December 20th. Right. Very likely a trial could be going on at that time. And it's entirely possible oh, that yeah. Donald Trump would basically decide that he's going to shut down the damn government uh, to show them what the consequences are if they keep pursuing and this. Crack the door to that a little bit. Yes. Now it was now it was an the line itself was an aside, and I think uh, folks in the press reported it like it was much more serious. But there's no reason to think that he wouldn't um, yeah. over. Um, I guess a personal sense of affront from the United yeah. States Senate. Yeah. So well, let me, also, I want to stick with you a little bit more, Elliot, because yeah. you have both the trial experience and the recent legislative experience. So let's indulge the most caricatured view of McConnell and polish up his handlebar mustache and just think he's, you know, completely Machiavellian. Give me one or two ways, and you're you're his Machiavellian advisor. Give me one or two ways that that translates into particular procedural approaches at the trial. It's all political. I, again, so, I, so everything here comes down to fine. politics. So No, no, so this is what I'm getting at. So I think you figure out ways to make vulnerable Democrats try to take tough votes. Now, of course, the folks who are most vulnerable right now tend to be, you know, the Cory Gardners and the Susan And Collins. we'll return to them. But, but, yeah. but, the, but that's what you do. You, number one, limit the ability of the Senate Democrats. So you uh, have cross-examination or you well, don't? I don't even know you, if you have cross-examination because so um, – Back in the Clinton, uh, there there weren't even live witnesses. Right. There were only Ken depositions. Starr they were and, yeah. very dry. Yeah. It was um, who were there were. I think I believe it was three of them. Um, Cindy Blumenthal was one. Yeah. Monica Lewinsky was another. So, so you want it, you want that if you're I, McConnell? No, no I, think, I, I, know that, I, I don't know, but I but I think this is off the top of my head. I think you don't want to give. Kamala Harris and Cory Booker an opportunity to be cross-examining a witness huh. or, or to even be questioning a witness. I think you probably don't all... want a witness at all. Yeah, because that, do you yeah, agree? Yeah, yeah, enough if, people if, running if, I, president. if I'm McConnell, I'm being real cold-blooded. Yeah. Um, and, think, and what does that translate into at the nitty-gritty level? So here's what I would do, two things. Yeah. Uh, I would have, I would have, I would say, okay, it's a trial. I'm introducing a, mo a, mo a motion, motion for summary judgment to reject it. We haven't heard it. And then I have, and then immediately- 20 minutes later, we vote on the resolution of condemnation 
of the inappropriateness of the president's action. So I give Romney and Murkowski and Collins and Gardner a vote where they can take home and say, look, I didn't think we should remove the president, but I sent the strongest po- – and, and they can then join the Democrats. And you think you can – you think he could get the president behind that? No. That's the oh, problem. Oh, oh that's that, that cold-blooded. That, right. that, that's, yeah. that, that, that's, the, that's the smart play is right. – is, is, totally, um, right? Don't have a tr- this guy's so guilty. You can't go. You can't open anything. They all know he's he's so guilty. So just close it down with that's it. We haven't heard. A, there's this there's is nothing about, to say about the facts. They're monolithic. Yeah. And, we all agree. It's just is removal the appropriate remedy? Removal is not the appropriate remedy. Let the American people vote. But here's a resolution so that my more troubled members of my caucus can voice their views, and then we get this over with, and then we break for lunch. And we tried that by one o'clock. The, well, but the, except that it, it would be better for him in that case to drag this on into January because then you say, look. It's not appropriate to remove him from office. We're in an election year. This is for the American people yes. to decide. So how do you drag so it So that might mean you have a kind of trial where you, or you have postpone some, the opening. Or you postpone the opening. I mean, there are different ways in which you could extend yeah. it to January. I did want to mention one other thing following on what David said. We had a, a hearing in the court yesterday on DACA. Uh, it's not clear what the court will do, but it is more than likely that five justices are going to say that – maybe with a little adjustment in the rationale that the president can blow up DACA. I agree. We know what Trump has tweeted about this. There are a bunch of criminals. There are hardened criminals. There are 50,000 of them who've broken the law and so on. And but the court I have a big give heart. Me the I love that 700,000. Well, but, but then the Democrats and I can cut a deal. Yeah. There is a part of Trump thinking, if I can get some things that they desperately want, then I'll say to them, you want DACA? I'll give you a full DACA. Just stop this bullshit. Yeah. Um, so we may see a, a few instances where he dangles uh, things that they want. They, they will not accept them, but that's in his mindset now as well. And it's part of the way he's negotiated in the past. The only, the only place where I disagree with you, uh, Norm, a little bit on that is that um, – this is so radioactive and such Armageddon yeah. for the this, president. This oh, okay. uh, the uh, Im- impeachment. That I, this is not the kind of thing that I think he'd be willing to negotiate away in a way that it like like another political priority. This is his integrity. This is his personal. Behavior. No, I, I what I, I feel so and what I'm about. saying is, if you drop the impeachment. I'll give you DACA, Even, and I'll I, give you more I, than I DACA. I think I'm with David on this, yeah. which is that he feels so strongly yeah. about impeachment. Uh, he's not a rational. He not, is not, yeah, unlike not McConnell. Rational, he is not a rational. Personal, yeah. He's is, the one person around the table who's not a rational point. decision yeah. maker. All right, so let's zero in. In some ways, this uh, this cuts to the chase. We obviously know there are a lot of Republicans who actually don't want to be counted. Uh, that you know their their strategy to date has been to keep their heads in the in the sand and and the prospect from Democrats' point of view or or at least people's uh, point of view is that they'll actually be forced to take a stand. You've also identified a few people whom McConnell will want to give leave to have some kind of of expression of disapproval of the president. So at the very 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 end, will. McConnell or will he not permit the the mem- the Republicans to vote their conscience no. or individual political positions? No. Each of you, 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 you have that, no. That's an, that's an em- easy that's, question. That's to you? an emphatic no. It's not about voting conscience. It, it's literally about the, the the cold political reality. Oh, I'm, and that, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, you're right. I don't mean will he will he will he give liberty to each to 
go the way you want to, whether based on politics or it whatever. It all comes down to the question of politics. And that can also mean sinking the president of the United States if his popularity starts dragging the party and uh, the Republican All right, but a total down. mob approach. We will break your knees if you don't do uh, – does that go to the very can, end and, and you I'll deny go, I'll Republicans go the chance – to make this I vote. will go even a step further, Harry. I actually think there could come a day where Mitch McConnell takes a card to the White House and says, Mr. Yeah. President, it's over. I don't have the votes. You're done. This happened to Richard Nixon. It could happen. I mean, it's not likely, but, but all that's, I'm saying is yeah. if there's some if he knows no. and he must that there is true division within the, the ranks, does he give them the or does no, he give it, them it, any leash, any running room at all? But if, if, if we're not in some kind of political maelstrom caused by either a worsening economy or the overthrow of the Affordable Care Act or possibly DACA, I don't know that that would be such right. a big political event, um, then. What McConnell, the talk McConnell will have with Gardner's, Corey, if it were up to me, absolutely, I'd give you your conscience vote. Absolutely, I would do that. But the president has said, for him, this is a red line. And I, it, because Donald Trump will not allow oh, oh, anyone to say inappropriate but not impeachable, uh, that won't happen. That the, the line will be, um, you have to be absolutely down the line. The president did nothing. And if you do, otherwise, you're dead in this town. I'm, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So I, uh, I would yeah. say first... Um, that McConnell's number one objective is to retain his own seat and to retain the majority in the Senate. So he will give instructions or advice to his colleagues based on that priority more than anything else. And he'll make his own hard calculation about what works there. It wouldn't surprise me that this could reach a point where maybe before a trial, he does go to Trump and says, Look, I can't control this. And here's another reality you have to consider. This, the Constitution doesn't say two-thirds of the Senate. It says two-thirds of the Senate pres senators right. present. Oh. Um, I may get 20 of my colleagues who just don't show up and say this is really bad, but I just can't vote to impeach our own party's president. But then you only need 53 or 54. I've uh, spoken to Pence. He'll pardon you if you resign um, or at minimum announce that you're not running for re-election and we can hold some of these people off. That could happen. But to be clear, all of you think something like that it's is only if there's unlikely. a huge – and not yeah. just unlikely but triggered only by huge movement – uh, in the in the political in, in his popularity among and among Republicans, or I mean, what if it really yeah. gets to incredibly polarized? Let, let me raise every yeah. everybody except ninety yeah. percent the Republicans. It's still it's the the index then that will determine is, this. Then his Senate majority is yes. in trouble, and that may he, change the calculus. But keep one other thing in mind: of the people. a lot of these phone calls we don't know about were made on his unsecured phone. My guess is that you have twenty foreign governments who have recordings <laughs> of conversations that he has yeah. had with Putin, with Erdogan, with MBS, and who knows who else. And we may well find that some conversations get dumped yeah. uh, in the middle how of this process that are even more damning how than do what you, we've seen. How do you subpoena the Saudi government? That's yeah. the next episode. We <laughs> I, Norm, I think that's a very real thing and it's a real problem. Um, I think at this point, every hostile foreign government of the United States wants Donald Trump to stay on the job. As, yeah. as, as the Chinese, former, the retired yeah. Chinese negotiator 
said at a yeah. conference in Singapore, we have never had a co- an opposite number like Donald Trump. We love him. Yeah. He tells us on Twitter everything he's going to do. He doesn't understand so, the it's briefing. So easy. It's so easy. But the, so but the, the conversations are not just held by hostile governments. Between comrades. <laughs> yeah. They're held by Canada. The <laughs> All right. So yeah. Merkel what, has what, them. What, what, we got to watch. There's one quick point. You know, um, you know, I've been hard on Mitch McConnell and politically, you know, I do think he's, he's sort of naughty and evil. But look, sort this of? is purely rational behavior. Yeah. Yeah. This is about protecting I'm himself. I'm like the president, for exactly example. What Norman said. He is it's, a ruthless He's a pragmatist. ruthless, rational pragmatist, and that's why he's doing what he's doing. So. Yeah. Yeah, I almost say it with respect, almost. I no, don't, well, but the, you know what I mean. You know what I, mean. Yeah, yeah, sure I, I mentioned well, there's, there's a second element of irrationality that needs to be stressed. The first is, of course, the president's own narcissistic ego needs. Uh, the second is not McConnell personally, but a lot of Republicans in decision-making positions actually are relying on on, on bad information because it isn't they, – they, yeah. the Fox News system doesn't just no, – it is not just not the elite here, yeah. lying to the base. The elite lies to itself. Yeah. And so they believe that Trump is much more popular – in the, in the country as they are able to see the country. When they say things like the elected president, the American people, I mean, at some level, they, they can remember that that's not true. You can look it up and you can see actually he did win three million votes fewer than Hillary Clinton. California is part of America. Uh, they know that, but they can't really believe it, um, that America is – the white America. It's non-coastal America and, and it's the America they see on Fox. And so they lie to themselves. I, th- I think it may happen. The one thing that could change is it's probably too late for the trial. But I think Republicans are going into this process quite convinced they have a real fighting chance in 2020. Um, and at some point around May or June, it may hit them. At the, at the point where Rasmussen, Rasmussen, the Rasmussen polls Republicans, what Rasmussen always does is as he gets close to the election, he stops. He, he actually starts doing real polls so because he's he's got a reputation to look out for. Yeah. And at, at that point – my God, I mean, we are going, we are going to lose the Senate. Um, it really is possible we're going to lose the Senate. And, uh, you know, what people forget last time, Donald Trump got 46% of the vote. The reason it, it looks like anything is because of the 54% who voted against him, Hillary Clinton only got 48% of the vote, and that's on her. If the next Democrat, if nothing changes and a Democrat gets not 48 out of, 50, uh, out of 54, right. but 53 out of 54, that is 1988. That is a big, right, big right. win. Um, and that uh, the Republicans lose – in that case, the Republicans lose North Carolina. Maybe they lose Georgia. I don't believe they'll, they'll lose Texas. But um, uh, they, lose, they may, could lose Indiana. Uh, they certainly lose Michigan. Um, and, and then they are suddenly looking at, my God, you could have um, a real sweep. And the irony of all this is before Barack Obama in 2009, the last time the Democrats really got to do a lot of stuff – was 1965. It comes once every half century. And the Republicans may have, may suddenly wake up to say, well, they've created a possibility where instead of every half century, that they're setting up a possibility for an activist Democratic president in 2021 that would not otherwise have happened. 2020 is would, but for Donald Trump, 2020 would not be a change election. Most people, the American majority, every way we can measure, seem reasonably satisfied with everything in the country except the president. All right. Uh, listeners of this podcast know we normally end with a feature called Five Words or Fewer, where a reader uh, or a listener put, gives us a question that the, that the participants answer in five words or fewer. I think in light of the topic, we should uh, cross it up a little, and everyone gets you know a free pass for this being um, uh, W-A-G, uh, as the lawyers put it. But here's, here's the question I'd like us all to uh, – close on. 
How many votes will there be? How many Republicans will vote to convict in the Senate? Today, one. If the vote were held happens. today, you get Mitt Romney. How, okay, but today. I just it just it depends to see it depends on what happens in the House and how bad the president gets dirtied up. I it's just it's hard to see it right now. One and maybe a few abstentions, but uh, I don't see more than one. Um, it will be eight or zero. That is, if, if Romney's alone, he won't be alone. Uh, but if Romney if Romney is effective. Um, and principled. And if the evidence is as it is today, he may be able to pull along Lisa Murkowski. And Cory Gardner may think he has to do this in order to survive. So there could be as many as six, seven, eight. Okay. And on the in other words, zero. <laughs> <laughs> on the principle that they remember you when you're, when you're crazy and right, but they forget you otherwise, I'll go with six. Thank you very much to David, Norm, and Elliot. Thank you very much, listeners, for tuning in to Talking Feds. Thank you very much, George Washington University Law School. If you like what you've heard, please tell a friend to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever they get their podcasts, and please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at TalkingFedsPod to find out about future episodes and other Feds-related content. And you can also check us out on the web at TalkingFeds.com, where we have full episode transcripts. Submit your questions to questions at TalkingFeds.com, whether it's for five words or fewer, or general questions about the inner workings of the legal system for our sidebar segment. Thanks for tuning in. And don't worry, as long as you need answers or informed speculation. The feds will keep talking. Talking Feds is produced by Jenny Josephson, Dave Moldovan, Anthony Lamos, and Rebecca Lopatin. David Lieberman is our contributing writer with additional research by Sam Trachtenberg. Production assistance by Richard Gunther and Sarah Philippoum. Thank you very much to GW Law for hosting us. And thanks to Hayden Pendergrass of the GW Law Student Bar Association, as well as the GW Criminal Law Society and the GW Immigration Law Society, our co-sponsors for this event. Thanks very much to the incredible Philip Glass, who graciously lets us use his music. Talking Feds is a production of Dolito LLC. I'm Harry Littman. See you next time. Hello, listener. Harry here. There's a very interesting aspect of this whole topic of what the trial will look like, and that is how will it work exactly for the Chief Justice, John Roberts, to be determining motions, including, for example, motions to subpoena Hunter Biden? I had the pleasure of talking to maybe the best authority in the world on this, Walter Dellinger, former Solicitor General and Assistant Attorney General for OLC. You can find that conversation and more exclusive bonus content at patreon.com slash talkingfeds.